Welcome to a Nutrition and Clinical Practice podcast. I'm Dr. Jeanette Hassey, the Editor-in-Chief of Nutrition and Clinical Practice. The December 2016 issue of NCP covers topics in enteral nutrition from A to Z. So the new buzz in enteral formulas is using blenderized formulas. So the author of The Reemergence of Blenderized Tube Feeding, Exploring the Evidence, is joining me today. So I'd like to welcome Elizabeth Bobo, a registered dietitian and certified nutrition support clinician from Nemours Children's Specialty Care in Jacksonville, Florida. So thank you for joining me today, Elizabeth. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Before we start, do you have any disclosures on this topic that you'd like to share with our audience? I have no disclosures. Well, thank you. When I was reading your article, it took me back to the very beginning when I started practicing and blenderized feedings were being used and then went out. (laughs) So now making homemade blenderized tube feedings has definitely made a comeback. And I think it's actually interesting in your conclusion that you state that patients are going to use blenderized feedings with or without our guidance. And so that's why we're having this discussion to help those who are in this profession to guide our patients in the right way. So what factors have driven this practice of blenderized tube feedings back into popularity? Well, I think there are a variety of reasons, and I'm going to speak personally on this for what I see in my line of practice. And one of the most common uh, reasons for using a blenderized tube feed is a desire to feed one's loved one whole foods. And this is particularly true as it relates to children. Uh, You know, there's a perception that whole foods are healthier, and rightfully so. I mean, as a dietitian, I would agree with that. But a lot of families or caretakers refer to commercial formulas as, you know, quote, a bunch of chemicals is what I hear. And we know that's not necessarily true, but that's the perception. And giving real food is a way for families to offer what they perceive as optimal care when perhaps they have little control over other medical issues. For example, you know, they may perceive an organic diet as superior to a commercial diet. They may perceive organic foods as more healing and more healthy. Another reason that I oftentimes see families want to use a blenderized tube feed is to improve tolerance to the feeds. Um, sometimes I see parents complaining that their child maybe seems uncomfortable with feeds or is having a lot of vomiting or constipation problems. And so they turn to the blenderized diet as a way to help alleviate these symptoms. I think you kind of touched on kind of that personal component of why people want to do these blenderized tube feedings. But are there other economic or nutritional benefits that can be derived when they use these blenderized versus the standard commercial products for tube feeding? Well, depending on insurance coverage or rather lack thereof, blenderized tube feedings can be very cost effective. Now, this doesn't take into consideration the time that is spent trying to make these blends. The nutritional benefits, though, are a little bit more challenging to speak to because it really depends on the design of the blend. You know, certainly as a dietitian, I feel more comfortable about the nutrients I'm providing a patient when they're on a commercial formula because I can easily calculate it. And I know that the nutrients are static. You know, what's in one can of formula is going to be the same in the next can of formula. With the blend, the nutrients change depending on what's added to the blend that day and how it was prepared. You know, a good example would be where the vegetables sauteed in butter versus where they steamed. That's going to change the nutrient composition of those vegetables. 
One positive nutrient aspect of a blend certainly is the fiber component. The fiber found in natural foods seems to benefit some patients in my experience, and you really can't mimic that so well in a commercial formula. And sometimes these blends have more calories than a commercial formula, which can be really helpful for a patient that's malnourished. Are there any economic benefits as far as, I think you mentioned the lack of insurance. What's the cost between blenderized formula versus commercial formulas? How does that tend to stack up? Well, typically, you know, making a blenderized formula, I think, would be more cost effective. But again, that really depends on your insurance. Some insurance policies cover formulas 100%, so in that case, it would be a non-issue, whereas some other insurance companies will cover two feeding supplies, but not necessarily the formula. And in those cases, families can really have some hardships trying to obtain formulas and cover them. So I think it depends on the insurance type as to how cost-effective using a blenderized tube feeding really is. And I think you mentioned earlier the time. That certainly is a factor as well. So, and we know that not every patient that requires tube feeding is going to be a candidate for blenderized formulas. So, what factors should be present that would tip you off that this patient would be a good patient to be able to use blenderized formulas? Well, certainly one must have access to the necessary equipment. I mean, this is not something for the for the for the lighthearted. You have to have a high power blender, you have to have good measuring cups, you have to have ample space in your refrigerator and your freezer. Um, you have to understand proper food handling and sanitation methods. Um, this is a little bit different than just preparing dinner for the night. And Ideally, you need to be able to tolerate bolus feeds and have at least a 14-French tube. But that being said, I really think the biggest prerequisite is a motivated patient or caregiver. I mean, to provide an appropriate blend, one has to be motivated to consistently construct a well-balanced blend. And this requires planning, this requires time and effort. And often I see parents who want to prepare a blend for their child, but simply just don't have the time to do so because of all of life's other demands. So the intention is very good, but in reality, it's just not appropriate for them. And in these situations, it may be using a full blend is inappropriate, but some alternative methods for adding real food into the diet could be used. So for example, some parents will choose to add maybe pureed fruits to a commercial formula to give it a little bit more of a wholesome feel. Or alternatively, some families will use some of the commercial real food blend type products that are now on the market. You did mention that it's important to have good food safety for people who are going to use blenderized formulas. So what would you recommend if a patient is immunosuppressed, let's say a cancer patient or a transplant patient and wants to use blenderized tube feeding? What recommendations would you give to those patients and maybe even the health professionals that are faced with that question? This is a bit of a tricky situation. Um, In the past, we've always recommended a low bacteria or a neutropenic diet for immunocompromised patients. However, the literature does not support this really restrictive diet. Now, the FDA Food Safety for Transplant Recipients Guide is commonly used in practice, which is more liberal, and it provides clear instructions regarding proper food preparation and storage. So if one wants to use a blenderized tube feed, then these instructions should be carefully followed. And I think the healthcare professional would really need to go over these instructions with the patient and or caregiver to make sure that they understand fully. To date, I'm not aware of any randomized controlled trials looking at blenderized tube feeds in immunocompromised patients. One option 
that may be more palatable for this population is to use the commercial whole food products that I was mentioning earlier. These are pasteurized and they carry a lower risk for contamination. So overall, this would be an interesting topic to explore further, but we really don't have clear guidelines as of yet. Elizabeth, another important point that you made is that it's really important to have nutritionally complete blends. And how do you ensure that a patient is going to have the correct recipes? Are there a bank of recipes available online? Do each dietitian or center that has these formulas provide them to the patients? How do they get these recipes? That's a good question. Well, I think ensuring that a patient has an appropriate recipe is really a joint effort between the patient and family and the registered dietitian that they're working with. In my practice, nutrition analysis software is used to analyze multiple blends, typically three days, to look at an average intake. And I find that oftentimes there are adjustments that need to be made, such as maybe adding a little bit more potassium to the blend. In the pediatric population specifically, analysis really needs to be repeated as the child ages because their needs are going to alter as they grow. And analysis of a blend is also helpful for determining if any extra vitamin or mineral supplements are needed. Typically, extra vitamin D may need to be added to the blend or perhaps iron. I think open communication between the dietitian and patient or caregiver is really key to manipulating the recipe into something that's manageable and nutritionally sound for the family. There are some helpful resources to use when getting started. Typically, I give my families a sort of recipe of how much of each food group they need to include in the blend, and then I let them pick the foods that they want to incorporate, and then they email these recipes to me, and that's what I analyze. For those of you who are listening who want to maybe tap into some of these resources, a few that I would recommend are the Seattle Children's Homemade Blenderized 2 Feeding website. They have some really good ideas, and that's at www.seattlechildrens.org. You can also look at two feeding recipes through the Virginia Healthcare System at www.ginutrition.virginia.edu. And one book that I always use and always recommend to my families just as a good basic resource is the Homemade Blended Formula Handbook by Marsha Don Klein and Suzanne Evans-Morris. You can go to www.mealtimenotions.com to get a little bit more information there as well. Thank you. That's very helpful. I think that we can all envision how you could have a motivated patient or caregiver and they could manage these blenderized tube feedings at home. But how are hospitals and other facilities like nursing homes addressing this issue if the patient or the patient family insists that they have blenderized feedings while they're in the facility? This is an interesting question and one I think we'll see come up more and more over time. I'm not aware of any standard policies addressing this issue and rather it seems to be institution specific. In my facility, families are allowed to bring in their blends, but the hospitals will not prepare them. If you step back and think about it, really it's kind of funny because what we're looking here at is just basic feeding of our patients. And in the past, as you mentioned, this was the way that we fed our patients was the hospitals prepared these two feeds. So now it seems that hospitals are a little put off by this form of feeding. I don't know if it's because it's unfamiliar or because maybe it's a little bit tedious, but I'll be interested to see how this evolves over time. Elizabeth, before we close, I'd like to give you the opportunity to add any additional comments that you think our listening audience would like to hear about. 
Well, first I want to encourage listeners to not view blenderized tube feedings as taboo. Yes, they require more time and more effort on the part of the medical professional, but really, again, what we're talking about is simply nourishing our patients. And if we're providing an oral diet, this would be a non-issue. Also, I want to encourage you to talk with your families about blenderized tube feeds and make it a comfortable situation. It's far better for families to get sound advice from a healthcare professional than to try to create a blend on their own. And we do know from the research that a lot of families are going out on their own and creating things that maybe aren't in the best interest of their loved one. And finally, I want to encourage you to learn from your families. Most of what I know about what will and will not blend well comes from feedback from my families. Plus, sometimes parents or caregivers are the most creative individuals. They come up with things that we as healthcare professionals sometimes just don't even think about. A mother once told me that nothing is more powerful than a determined mother, and I really believe that this is the absolute truth. So speak openly with your families and their caregivers and learn from them just as they learn from you. I think that's very wise advice. I appreciate that very much, Elizabeth. So I invite our readers to find out more about blenderized tube feeding formulas and all the other enteral nutrition topics that are included in the December 2016 issue of Nutrition and Clinical Practice. Thank you for joining us today.